people are debating which solution they think is more effective and why, as opposed to why we need solutions in the first place. I mean, yeah. that's just brilliant. I think this really, it's a, it's a great point. It comes down to the subtitle of the game. So the, the game is called Solutions, and then the, the subtitle is Discover, Prioritize, and Take Action. I will give you the floor to describe this one. Yeah, so one of my favorite solutions is undoubtedly cloning woolly mammoths. Testing, testing. Hey, I'm Ian. And I'm Sophia. And welcome to Talking with Green Teachers. This is the Environmental Education Podcast, where we discuss recent developments, big ideas, and creative approaches to teaching green. In this episode... Really, the, the thing here is that Drawdown shows us the solutions exist, and the problem is implementation. And so hopefully this game can be a starting point for galvanizing people to understand what the solutions are, how they apply to, to their local context, and then let's actually do something about it and get it to spread. One of the six students opens the box and unfolds the game board, which has the image of a large thermometer on the right-hand side. At the top of the board is the game's title, Solutions, under which reads the tagline, Discover, Prioritize, Take Action. Inspired by Project Drawdown, Solutions was created by Samuel Levac-Levy, a core team member of the action-oriented community work on climate. Sam virtually met with Ian to talk climate solutions, gaming, realistic hope, and woolly mammoths? So first things first, are you a gamer of any sort? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. I'm actually looking over at my board game shelf right now. Okay. Um, I, I'm a big board game fan, video game fan as well. In terms of board games, some of my favorites are definitely Risk, but not the <laughs> nice. classic Risk. Uh -huh. um, although I do enjoy the classic Risk, but my favorite version of Risk is 20, uh, 2210 AD. It's Risk in the future. So you have- Oh, I've not played that. Yeah, it, it's an amazing game. You have the moon, you have underwater cities, you have different, different powers. And I, I really enjoy it because it, there's a lot less luck in the game, and so it's, okay. it's a lot there, and there's a lot more options. So I, I really enjoy games with uh, less luck, more skill, and I tried to bring that into um, the solutions board game as well, where I, I really tried to match up luck in real life with luck in the game. We could get into an interesting rabbit hole right, right off the <laughs> bat here, but what, in what way is this future version of Risk less luck-oriented? I'm just very curious from a purely geeky standpoint, and in this context, the word geeky is like the supreme compliment. <laughs> Absolutely. The main way is in normal Risk, you have all these cards mm -hmm. where if you get certain combinations of them, you might get a huge boost in the number of units you get, for example. And in future risk, that's completely stripped away. 
um, the the rules for how you acquire your your armies is much more consistent. And there's also a lot more tactical options, I guess. So there's new paths you can take to open out new routes to like, uh, Australia is always famous for there only being one way to get into it, but in future risk, now there's two ways to get into it. So you, you have a lot more options there. Interesting. I will have to give this a look because I, I have also dabbled in board games. I'm mainly a Scattergories guy. Okay. Love Scattergories. Many, many, many hours playing that one. <laughs> Fair enough. Talking about future risk is a perfect segue to talking about climate change. And I ask this question a lot on this podcast whenever we talk about that topic. When you hear that term, sort of without thinking, just instinctively, what comes to mind? It's a really great question. So I, I think, first of all, awe that, first of all, the climate exists and we as humans have the ability to affect it. I think that just the fact that the universe exists is absolutely incredible. And as a, it really makes me want to protect nature, uh, protect the earth, but also really protect humans because we've, I, I think we're a really special species as well. And I, I don't, it, and you'll let me know if I'm getting too philosophical here. No, no, I, this is great. <laughs> but Really, if you look at how much humans have improved as a species since, for example, the Middle Ages, I think humans get a, a really bad rap for, for all our faults. But I think if you take that, that larger perspective, we've really done an incredible job at starting to overcome some of those faults. And I can really see a, a bright future for us if we can really survive and thrive for the next 100 years. You know, it, I think it's great that you say that because I don't think it's a perspective that comes up a lot in the broader discussion about various environmental issues, whether it be climate change or plastic pollution or toxins, biodiversity loss, and on and on, it often comes down to all the things that humans have done to contribute to those problems. And those things are not untrue, but you're absolutely right. I mean, the progress we've had is astounding. And using the past as a guide for the future, how can you not feel at least a bit optimistic and, you know, another perspective that I've discussed with friends before, you know, around campfires, usually under a starry night in a park or green space somewhere, is we consciously try to take care of other species and systems. Yeah. And that's unbelievably unique in the universe that we know of. <laughs> Definitely. So... Yeah. I, and I like starting this conversation off with hope because we're talking about solutions, the board game. And, you know, if this were a movie, somebody might come and say, well, that's too on the nose of a title. <laughs> but I think it's a perfect title for what you're doing. And, and we'll get into that and why it is so appropriate. Definitely. And maybe just to jump in quickly, um, yeah. because I, I don't want to pretend like my only reaction to, to climate change is all, because I think it's yeah. really, really easy to slip into even something as deep as, as anger sometimes. And there, there's of often anger at why aren't more people doing something about it? And especially look at the, the people in, in certain positions of power. Yeah. And, but, but really, I think starting with that perspective of awe really helps to get around it in some way, but also just acceptance and, uh, and understand, and just really uh, understanding that there are so many injustices in life that prevent people from even thinking about the climate as a problem. And that, I mean, you, you and I are in super privileged 
places oh, yeah. to be able to even consider this. And then uh, I think uh, at some point we have to come to terms and accept that not everyone is going to see things in the way we do. And that's really where you guys come in as green teacher. And I'm trying to come in with the solutions board game where we can use education to, to start affecting that a little bit. Yeah, all important points. And, you know, they don't exclude each other. Being in awe of human achievement and human potential, but also feeling a range of emotions, including anger about inaction from certain other people in privileged positions and in power positions, they can coexist. Life is muddy, life is gray, and this topic is no exception to that. So let's move to the development of the game itself. And the journey started in September 2019, before the world changed, a few months yeah. before the world changed. And you went to the Project Drawdown Conference. So kind of walk us through that experience. Sure. So for, for people who aren't familiar, Drawdown's an organization that came about in 2014. And at the time, there was a, a lot of great science being done on the problems surrounding climate change. So the, the ice sheets are melting, the polar bears are dying. But there was a, a focus on certain climate solutions, but they were especially um, solutions in energy and transportation that we, we all know about and have been hammered into our heads. But there was no real ho holistic approach at the time. And so they actually took a team of over 200 experts and they analyzed every single climate solution they could come across. And they came up with this really incredible book that came out in 2017 um, called Drawdown. And it's a list of 100 climate solutions that are really unique and often surprising. And the solutions span sectors that most people would never think about when they think of climate solutions. For example, a lot of the, the land and agriculture-based solutions, which are a huge portion of things, refrigerant management, which no one ever thinks about but has a tremendous impact. Yeah. And yeah, the really, when I read the book myself and it must have been 2018, it just really inspired me to all these different options. And I was able to flip through it and think, well, how can I fit into this solution? How can I use my resources to, to affect this one? So I, I just jumped on the opportunity to fly to this conference in September 2019, like you said. And the conference was incredible. I mean, one of the things that really struck me was just how, how deeply the drawdown researchers knew the solutions and were able to field all these diverse questions from the, the experts in the room. And at the end of the conference, we held an unconference, which was basically a brainstorming session, an opportunity for us, the attendees, to give back and think about how we could accelerate some of these solutions ourselves. One of the attendees happened to be Hank Rogers, who's the entrepreneur behind Tetris. And he's a huge environmentalist. And he, of course, ran a session on the gamification of Drawdown. And yeah. one of his proposals was, let's turn Drawdown into a card game. And I, I heard him say that, and I absolutely loved it. But I was just like, no, this needs to be a board game, not a card game. And I started brainstorming the rules on the spot. I ended up talking to Hank, talking to the Drawdown team. And they kind of let me go off on my own and, and do this. So here I am two years later. Talking with Green Teachers is produced by Green Teacher, a nonprofit that has been enhancing environmental education since 1986. 
For only $32 a year, you can join our global network of passionate environmental educators, receive each issue of our quarterly magazine, and gain exclusive access to our vast archive of webinars and magazine-backed issues. All proceeds go back into the organization to support our vision of helping each successive generation of young learners become more environmentally literate than the last. To learn more, visit greenteacher.com. The game is on. Everyone's goal? Keep global average temperatures at or below 1.5 degrees Celsius, above pre-industrial levels by 2050. But which mode to choose? Medium, hard, or extra hard? Kind of walk us now through the game and how you're hoping to inspire people who play the game to take that next step. Yeah, definitely. So. Imagine a giant thermometer on, on the game board. And mm -hmm. as you move forwards in time, global temperatures are, are going to increase because of all the emissions that um, humans are putting out into the atmosphere. And it's your job to play this giant stack of climate solutions as a team in order to bring temperatures back down. And I, I've tried to be really conscious to match up as much of the game as possible to reality, like I was saying before, matching up luck in, in real life to luck during the game. Mm. But one of the first things that you have to, the, the first decisions you have to make as a player is if you want to play medium, hard, or extra hard mode. And hard mode starts in the year 2020 when we're, we were at about one degree above pre-industrial levels. Medium mode starts back in the year 1990. And the reason I chose 1990 is because that's around when the first IPCC report came out. And that's yeah. really, I mean, there, there was a ton of research on climate beforehand, but that's really when the scientific community was absolutely sure climate is real, it's happening. And so it's a nice what if scenario. What if we had listened to scientists right away and gotten our act together? So really, I, I'm trying to match things up in that way. Well, when you're playing the game itself, it's a very discussion-based game. And so the, the goal here, the, the design intent was if you're going to play one of these solution cards, you're going to need to really engage with it and think with it deeply. And I, I don't know if you've played the game Terraforming Mars, for example, which is one of my, my favorite I have not. <laughs> um, it's an excellent game. You're, so you're actually trying to cause climate change on Mars. Of uh, course. Yeah, makes uh, sense. Yep. Yeah. And so it's actually the fourth best ranked game of all time, according to Board Game Week. Um, and <laughs> when right. you play the, yeah, you gotta check it out. And the, the reason I bring it up is because the game is full of these absolutely magical cards. And so for example, like shooting jets of water from the moons of Mars onto Mars to like bring water over, or like hurtling asteroids into the atmosphere to produce friction to like heat the atmosphere up. Yeah. And when I play, I, I want to just like think about these cards. And but but really, the only thing that matters when you're playing is this card says plus two this, minus one this, and mm -hmm. all of the magic is entirely lost. And so I, I really love this game, but that's kind of the opposite of what I was going for with solutions. Where if you're going to play one of these magical solution cards, you're going to need to really think deeply about it, engage with the solution. Um, rather than just being another number in the deck. Yeah, and what I really love about it is that you engage discussion and debate, which at times can become heated, but 
people are debating which solution they think is more effective and why, as opposed to why we need solutions in the first place. I mean, yeah. that's just brilliant. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, that's a really good point because well, when you look at all the the misinformation around around climate and you look at all the how it's become a politicized issue, a, a lot of that is focused on does climate exist? Is it human cause? And there's a ton of misinformation surrounding that. But I feel like when you start that conversation with the solutions, it becomes a lot more more human, more real, and a, a lot harder to to take a political side and, and debate it. So for example, it, it's much harder to argue that if you're destroying forests or peatlands, that the carbon isn't going out in, into the atmosphere, or it's much harder to argue that putting refrigerants out into the atmosphere is a good thing. And so starting with the solutions rather than a problem, I think can hopefully break down some of these political barriers. Yeah, and you know, th this might seem like a strange statement in some ways, but I, I have a tremendous amount of empathy for some people who have skepticism towards humans' role in climate change. Now, that does not extend to some of the bigger players. And of course, we know who those are. Sure. I don't have any sympathy for them because they should know better. They're in a privileged position and they're deliberately doing it for self-gain. But that's not most people. Most people are not out to cause trouble and cause destruction and make other people suffer for their own benefit. Many, many, many people have legitimate reasons for not wanting to believe it. And I'll, I'll be honest, I don't want to believe it either, really. Do, do, do any of us want to be like, yeah, you know what? It's great that climate change has the potential to impact humans in so many negative ways. I mean, wouldn't it, could yeah. you know, imagine in a parallel universe, you woke up one morning, it's like, yep, yeah, by the way, uh, the, this uh, we actually had that wrong. We're all good. Keep as you were. Yeah. I mean, it would just be like, Ooh, exhale, but it, it would. But also, if you look at some of these solutions, they're just good for the world regardless. Well, this so, is the thing. Yeah, and so that's again why I love the focus on solutions. Is I, I mean, by doing them, yes, we're helping the climate, but we're also helping so many other aspects of of humanity that are a lot harder for for people to deny. Yeah, and just getting back to the misinformation and then disinformation, the deliberate side of it. Did that come into your mind as you were designing the game, sort of as you were conceptualizing, were you like, I really want people to have higher climate literacy so that they're more equipped to think through and talk through myths and disinformation that they come across? Yeah, there, there's definitely an aspect of that. I think there's some solutions, if you look at the disinformation out there, some solutions have been really heavily targeted. So you look at, for example, renewable energy, wind turbines, solar, electric cars are, are another big one. In a past life, I did an internship at Tesla and I get a, a ton of questions about electric cars. Are they, didn't you hear they're actually bad for the environment, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Um, and so I've spent a lot of time on that side of the misinformation and the, the reality, yeah. And the reality is, I, I mean, I did all the calculations myself and I've since matched them up to, to numbers from some of these um, other research papers on the subject. And 
if you look at an electric car, for example, even if that electric car is powered by 100% coal energy, 100% electricity from coal power plants, it's still better for the environment than the average gas car. And the reason for that is, first of all, the coal power plant is so much bigger in scale and that leads to a much, much higher efficiency than a tiny gas engine. But then another part of it is when you look at all the misinformation here, all the misinformation really focuses on the, the negatives within the electric car. So you look at the electricity generation and, oh, it's made with coal, that's bad. And then you have to like transport the electricity through the, the wires to the charging station. There's an efficiency loss there. And then there's another efficiency loss when it's put into the batteries. And, and you, you go through all these numbers and you, you can come up with a pretty low efficiency for an electric car if you look at that overall picture. And that's absolutely right. But what a lot of this misinformation forgets to do is to do that same analysis with the competing technology, the, the gas car. And when you put gas into your car, like the, the gas doesn't just appear there. And so, so basically you, you, have to, you have to drill for the oil, you have to transport the oil to the refinery. Then when you're refining into gasoline, there's more emissions there. You have to transport it again to the pump. And so when you do that proper analysis from both sides, the renewable technology almost always comes out on top. So there, there are places where I've tried to add some elements of that into the board game. It, it wasn't a main focus because really the focus was keeping the game absolutely as simple as possible, which is yeah. very important for, for educational settings. It's very important for keeping as wide an audience as possible, but uh, where, where relevant, I definitely do try and incorporate some of those elements into it. Yeah, and so two things about the example you gave with the electric cars. On one hand, I think that's incredibly honest in saying, yes, I mean, there is no such thing as a zero emissions vehicle. I was yeah. just listening to an episode of What on Earth, CBC's podcast about climate change, and there was an episode on electric vehicles that was very illuminating and, and said exactly what you said. But when you do the comparison, one is still more carbon intensive than the other. So, so that's one note. And another note is that example sounds like the perfect kind of thing that could be part of an independent study that stems from the game. I mean, I think a lot of people are interested in electric vehicles just because cars are such a big part of our lives. And, and cars cool. are cool. I mean, people like cars. So that's a question that I think an educator could expect students to ask a lot about. So you play the game, you discuss electric vehicles as one of the solutions in the game, and then it's like, all right, go learn more about it. Hey, it's Ian. I'm just here to let you know about two of our newest books, Teaching Kids About Climate Change and Teaching Teens About Climate Change. Each one is kind of like an educator's toolbox with ready-to-use hands-on lessons focused on four core dimensions of climate change. Visit greenteacher.com to get your copies. We also have special rates available for bulk orders, and all proceeds go back into the nonprofit. The students aren't overly familiar with the drawdown solutions, so they opt for medium mode. The year marker is placed on the year 1990. The temperature marker is placed on 0.5 degrees Celsius. So what are some other ways that you're hoping that people extend their learning beyond the playing of the game? Yeah, so 
I think this really, it's a, it's a great point. It comes down to the subtitle of the game. So the, the game is called Solutions, and then the, the subtitle is Discover, Prioritize, and Take Action. And so yeah. really the discover element is getting people to discover these new and surprising solutions that they've never heard of. Prioritize really means getting people to think critically and engage meaningfully with each solution like we talked a bit about with the Terraforming Mars example. And then the third element is take action. And there, there's two meanings there because of course, while you're playing the game, you're in a sense taking action, trying to play these solutions to reduce temperature. But the other element there is how can we use the game as a starting point for real world action? And in that sense, the, the game can just be the beginning. And really, we've already seen this, and maybe you have, you've had this experience yourself, but I, we've already seen this with some of the educators that have tried out the game. So for example, I sent the game to a teacher, honestly, I forget if it was in Florida or California, there, there's lots of beaches. Somewhere um, with oranges. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so she had two of her grade six classes try the game. And both classes flipped over the reduced food waste card, which is actually one of the most surprisingly impactful solutions. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, and both her classes, independently after playing, decided to do class projects on food waste. And their local TV station picked this up, which is why I know about the beaches. And <laughs> you, you can see this amazing video of the the kids dragging this uh, giant garbage bag full of food waste, plopping it onto a scale, weighing it, and they've managed to reduce their food waste by, I think, about three kilograms a day, and they're trying to do much more. And so that, that's a, a situation where we had a teacher play the game, and the, and the students play the game, and the action just automatically happened as a result of that. And really, what our next focus is, once the game is launched, is to build up those resources around how to turn the game into action and how to turn each of these solutions into a real world project. There, there's so many different options for that. I, I think, uh, like you said, teachers can, like the, the misinformation aspect is an option for many of the solutions. If a solution asks about electric cars, like you said, that can be their, their, their project. Another project that's always available is all of the, the science behind the game is very global science and any of yeah. these solutions can be applied to your local setting. How, how does it matter locally to your town, city, country, however you want to, to slice the pie. But a big focus for what we're developing, and it's actually going to be a climate action platform, is going to be this real world action. And I, I think when most people think about what you can do to solve climate change, they think of these tiny personal actions. So for example, maybe you can fly a bit less or eat less meat, or there's all these lists out there, top five things you can do. And yep. they might have things like, maybe you can unplug your TV at night. And and I, I was listening to an interview with Paul Hawken the other day. He had a, a really great line, which was, um, anyone who's seeing these, these lists of what you can do, if you have, and, and I quote, if you have an IQ above room temperature, you read these <laughs> lists and you realize that we're completely screwed because the magnitude of these solutions presented comes nowhere near to matching the seriousness of the problem that we're bombarded with every single day. 
Yeah, it's, it's a so, shot glass on the Titanic. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and uh, of course, if we do them all together, then everything adds up. But I, I think there's specific ways to encourage actually doing those things together. And so, uh, again, when most people think of these solutions, it's what are the personal actions I can take? And then there's the giant actions that only corporations or, or governments can do. But really what I'm trying to get out here is that there's a whole, there, there's a giant sphere of action in between where a single individual or a group of individuals can have tremendous impact well beyond just themselves. And that, that's the difference between putting solar panels on your roof or doing a community solar program for your entire neighborhood. It's the difference between reducing your food waste personally at home or like these students did doing it for their entire cafeteria. And so really uh, imagine if once these students finish this project, they can upload that project as an action template that can then be refined, improved upon and adapted to different contexts. And maybe, for example, a Facebook employee sees the, the project and thinks, wait, we could adapt this for all the cafeterias at Facebook and can suddenly do sweeping change at one of the major tech companies. And really the, the thing here is that Drawdown shows us the solutions exist and the problem is implementation. And so hopefully this game can be a starting point for galvanizing people to understand what the solutions are, how they apply to, to their local context, and then let's actually do something about it and get it to spread. And that's just it. The solutions are there. We don't have to create a magic wand or a time machine. Yeah. We have what we need. <laughs> yep. Um, exactly. And of course, I, I don't expect everyone playing the game to go out and take real world action. I think there's going to be tremendous value in just exposing people to the solutions and and getting, because as you're playing the game, you're just intrinsically brainstorming about the solutions and, and thinking about them. But I think especially in an educational setting, that, that becomes a situation. And you, you can tell, you can talk to me more about this um, as an educator yourself, but amongst the teachers I've talked to, having talked to dozens and dozens at this point, it seems like there, there's a big desire to, teach about climate change, but many teachers just don't really know how to start and especially how to do it in a way that doesn't spiral kids in, into climate anxiety. And so I think by focusing on these solutions and then providing these example projects and like, what can you actually do? Get these kids excited. Um, let's go out and do something. And I, I think that has tremendous potential to change the attitudes of the, the kids, getting get them excited about climate, but then get that excitement to translate to their home as well. And they, they run home and tell mommy and daddy the, the cool new things they learned and the real world projects they've done. Yeah, that's what the appetite is. People want some kind of resource that's not just going to make their students depressed. Yeah. And this checks all the boxes. You can talk about it in a local context. That's another big thing that comes up in research about effective climate education. Make it local, make it measurable, and focus on the solutions. Don't ignore the problems, but yeah. spend more time in the solution space. And all of that can happen with the game. Yeah, and that's why I'm so excited to, to partner with Green Teacher as well, because having read some of your resources, you, you guys have 
these incredible books on, on teaching teens about climate, for example, and reading through through that one specifically, I just found this this treasure trove of these really creative and applicable resources that, that I think any teacher should just be thrilled to have. And I think they complement each other very, very well in that sense as well. Oh, most definitely. Green Teacher's main office is located on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabek, Huron-Wendat, Haudenosaunee, and Mississauga peoples. This territory is covered by the Williams Treaty. The cards are drawn with each student receiving three. Now it's decision time for player number one. Which card should be played first? So if you go on the Solutions the Game website, solutionsthegame.com, and go to the About section, you will see listed your favorite solution of the solutions in the game. And I don't yes. want to give spoilers away, but <laughs> it's a pretty nifty solution. So I, I will give you the floor to describe this one. Yeah, so one of my favorite solutions is undoubtedly cloning woolly mammoths. And <laughs> I, I like it, first of all, because of the, rea the reaction, because it's absolutely crazy. It's nuts. It's unlikely to actually happen. <laughs> and it's actually, it's, it's not one of the core solutions in the game. It's one of the quote unquote coming attractions. Um, yeah. There's a different set of rules around it. But really the, the solution has to do with permafrost in the Arctic. And it, it's estimated that in the Arctic, so per permafrost is frozen soil and it mm -hmm. houses a crazy amount of, of carbon and methane and, and other nasty gases. And as that frozen ground melts, those gases are going to start escaping into the atmosphere. And the, this is what's called a, a feedback loop. And the, the warmer the world gets, the, the more likely this is to happen and the more rapidly it will begin to happen. And it has already started happening in, in many places. And yeah. so the, the top three feet of permafrost alone is estimated to contain twice as much carbon as what's already in the Earth's atmosphere. And if that's all released, that's game over for the climate. And where the mammoths come in is, well, when they were alive, they would stomp around churning up the snow, which would allow grasses to grow. And those grasses could feed a whole host of other animals, bison, muskox, um, and, and these animals would all come and trample the snow and trample the snow into a really thin layer. And basically the snow acts as a blanket over the permafrost between the permafrost and the cold air above it. And by reducing that blanket, the cold air above is much closer to it and it can actually keep the, the permafrost frozen during much higher temperatures. And so by cloning the woolly mammoth and bringing all these hosts of other animals, you can actually delay the melting of the permafrost and hopefully prevent it, or at least delay it by, by several degrees. And so there, there's actually a father and son team, a, a Russian father and son team in Siberia who are driving around in an old Russian tank to simulate what the woolly mammoth does. And I think uh, Canada d donated like 3000 bison and a bunch of other countries have <laughs> donated animals to, to this effort to uh, help keep the, the permafrost frozen. So it's one of those crazy solutions. It's really out there. Actually being able to clone woolly mammoths is probably pretty realistic, but cloning enough to make a difference there is 
probably not, but I think it, it's just one of those things that really bends your perception of what a climate solution can be and just gets your, your creative juices thinking. It sure does. And I mean, we could do like a series of podcasts about the implications of bringing back extinct species. Yeah. You know, Jur Jurassic Park basically told <laughs> us not to do that for other reasons, but it's compelling. And I know this discussion came up, I want to say in 2014, which was the 100th anniversary, not a happy anniversary, but the 100th anniversary of the death of the last passenger pigeon, Martha. And right. it's believed that the tools might very well be in place to be able to clone them and bring them back, but the habitat that they relied on in their food source is no longer here, so it probably wouldn't be viable. But there's a great opportunity for an educator. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Man, it makes a, a great project that, yeah, I mean, hopefully some of these can turn into science projects and out into, yeah, spread from there. So when we talked about scheduling the recording for this episode, we kept pushing the date back so that you could quote tell me about more cool things. So what are some of those cool things? Yeah, um, great, great question. <laughs> I, I really appreciate your, all, all your flexibility with that. Um, oh, of course. Well, so one of the things was, was partnerships. And so obviously we're, we're partnering with Green Teacher and there, there's also several other partnerships we have in the works. Uh, one is with an organization called Climate Cleanup and they're an organization in the EU and in, in Amsterdam and they're actually going to help distribute the game around Amsterdam, possibly the EU in general. Uh, they're, they're interested in perhaps translating it into Dutch. Of course, we'll, we'll have to see. Um, there, there's some logistical challenge, challenges there, but that would be a tremendous opportunity if it works out. There, there's some other partnerships we're working on that I can't talk about quite yet, but there are yeah. two political organizations one in Canada and one in the UK. And the, the reason to partner with them is um, at this point, the, the game's been play tested by well over 500 people. And a, a lot of that has been with educators and with the general public. And so the game's been tested in elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, universities, from undergrad to, to master's students. Um, it's been tested with climate scientists and probably about 100 members of the general public who have no previous connection or interest in, in climate whatsoever. And they, they also had a great time. But one of the, the places where the game has not really been tested and where I've a, a lot of hope for it is in the political sphere. And so with some of these political organizations where we're going to try and test out playing the game with local councils for influencing local policy and climate action that way, politicians, etc. So um, a lot of great things brewing there. And then otherwise, it was um, examples of real world action. And so for example, the great example I told you about before with the, the teacher with the food waste projects, I, I think that's just a great success story of how the, the game can be implemented in that real world way. And I think it's just the beginning. Yeah, I hope so. Also, just a quick note, I know you've made it a priority to make sure that the game is as eco-friendly as possible. I mean, obviously you can't have zero impact, but yeah. it is a lot less than it could be. And what are some of the steps you've taken with regards to that? Definitely. So it's still honestly very difficult to make an eco-friendly board game. The, the industry is just so steeped in it, its current ways. Um, there are a few companies in Europe that do have some eco elements, FSC certified wood, 
really it's mostly FSC certified wood and some have renewable energy, some other options. But those companies are booked up by the big fish years in advance. And so it's, it's not really an option for us. So hmm. really the, the thinking around the eco-friendliness started with the design of the game itself. And if you look at many game boxes, there's a ton of wasted space. Um, you have these, we, we actually have some pictures on our, our website of like other games with boxes three times the size that fit perfectly into our game box. And the, the reason manufacturers do that is because of price perception. So many people associate a bigger box with a more expensive price. Fair enough. Which, yeah. And, uh, and so we said, well, it's not fair enough. We're, we're going to do something that's much more eco-friendly. So we, we've actually sized the game specifically to fit in the smallest USPS flat rate box. And so that greatly decreases the number of pallets needed for shipping, obviously lowers the fuel use and has the side benefits of being much cheaper for shipping um, and just making the game super portable. And then otherwise we've gone with a paperless rule book. So it's fully digital. You scan the QR code it means everyone can now have the, the, the rule book on their phone, <laughs> yeah. iPad, whatever. There's no more all crowding together over a single rule book. And we, we also ask people to supply some of their own materials where possible, such as like instead of incorporating, instead of manufacturing a sand timer, people can just use the stopwatch on their phone. And so a lot of it is, what well, was in those initial design decisions of the game. And then otherwise, well, we're obviously making sure that there's no plastic in the game whatsoever, other than the shrink wrap, which is very, very important because I've known manufacturers attempt to make games and publishers attempt to make games without shrink wrap. But what ends up happening is that a lot of the boxes end up absorbing moisture, the components inside absorb moisture, they get dinged around and damaged and squashed and that, that ends up causing a much higher environmental impact than just having the shrink wrap in, in the first place. And so otherwise, we're, we're trying to use all wood components in the game. And then finally, we're partnering with an organization called Cooler to neutralize our remaining carbon impact. And the cool thing about Cooler is that... <laughs> Sorry about that. I love um, puns. <laughs> is that it's not actually a traditional carbon offset. It's actually neutralizing the, the carbon. And so what they've done, they, they've analyzed the components in our game, and you can see these really great graphs that they've created for us in terms of uh, the scope one, two, and three emissions. And then to neutralize that impact, they buy emission permits away from some of these tightly regulated carbon markets in the U.S., and what actually happens is um, there, there's only a certain number of these permits available. And once Cooler buys them, the polluters have to either find more sustainable ways to operate or they have to shut down. And so, for example, you, you are actually shutting down coal power plants or preventing them from turning on for parts of the year because you're buying up these emission credits. And so it, it's a much more rigorous approach than carbon offsets where there's a lot of problems with um, what's called additionality and how do you really know that yeah. the benefit actually happened and it wouldn't have happened without your donation. And so this is a, a way to really stop the pollution at, at its source. And then as, as a final touch, our, our website is powered by 300% green servers. And so the, the server hosts we go with, 
they actually buy three times the renewable energy of the electricity that we use hosting the website. And we're, we're also trying to do even more than this, and we'll probably have some pretty cool things to announce by the Kickstarter. Yes, so stay tuned. Hi there. You might recognize my voice from such podcasts as the one you're listening to right now. Speaking of podcasts, Green Teacher is involved in another one. It's called Earthy Chats, and you know what? How about I let my co-host, Jade Harvey Barrel, tell you the rest? Take it away, Jade. Thanks, Ian. Hello, all. Indeed, we'd love for you to join us for Earthy Chats, our new podcast where we've come together to spend time picking the brains of the brightest and best in environmental education. Like busy bees, we'll be cross-pollinating ideas across our range of interests and knowledge bases to give you the inside scoop on what's new, who's doing it, and how you can do it too. All of the experts featured on the show have resources available Canada-wide in the Outdoor Learning Store. That's Canada's non-profit outdoor resource store. You can check out the range of educator and student resources available at www.outdoorlearningstore.ca. So whether you're a teacher, educator, parent or just a general nature geek, there'll be something for you to sink your teeth into. Did I cover everything there, Ian? Definitely. Thanks, Jade. So yeah, Earthy Chats. Check it out on your favorite podcast app. The first player has selected their refrigerant management card and placed it beneath the game board. Player number two is up. So it's kind of fashionable to finish an interview with talking about the future. And I try not to always slip into that just because it's cliche, I guess you could say. But I think it's pretty relevant to this discussion because so much of the focus is on the future and about benchmark years like 2030 and 2050 and 2100 and so on. So there's a lot of opportunity ahead of us. And yes, the Paris target of 2030 is coming up fast and furious. And there's no guarantee that we'll get there. I mean, putting all our cards on the table, we might and we might not. Yeah. But what gives you hope that we might? Yeah, I think that's an absolutely fantastic question. Really, climate is an exponential problem. And I, I say that because as the world gets warmer, we get feedback loops that can make things even worse. And so it, honestly, the, the climate problem, plain and simple, is a lot worse than most people realize because it's going to get really bad really fast as some of these feedback loops start kicking in. But what gives me hope is that many of the solutions are exponential as well. well. So you look at obviously a lot of the technological solutions. So you have the price of solar, wind, electric vehicles all dropping at tremendous exponential rates. And the adoption for these also equally increasing at, at exponential rates. And in addition to that, social attitudes are are exponential. There's a tremendous bit of research called the 3.5% rule. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, I I believe the the research was by Erica Chenworth or Chenoweth or or something like that. Uh, If you look up- Yeah, I think Chenoweth. Okay, yeah, there you go. And if you look up 3.5% rule, you'll you'll find it right away. And the, the rule, is that no government has withstood a challenge of 3.5% of their population all mobilized together during a peak event. 
And I actually, I think that's not fully true. I think there was like one or two examples where the movement actually did fail. But the point of this is, again, th this isn't fully relevant to climate because the, the research was targeted at a lot of nonviolent protests and mm. really o overthrowing governments and similar types of, of actions. But that being said, I do think there is a ton of applicability to climate because the, the reasoning behind why 3.5% of the population is important is because at that point, everyone in positions of power has someone close to them that believes in the movement, just statistically. And that really helps get the social attitudes to change. It gets the, these movements to get tremendous momentum. And it gives me great hope that if we can get 3.5% of the population actively working towards solving climate in a sustained way, then we'll be able to reach a tipping point in, in terms of action. And obviously, 3.5% sounds like a very little, small number. In reality, it is a pretty large number. I think the, the largest ever protest in US history was the 2017 Women's March, which had somewhere between 1% to 1.5% of US population. But it, it does seem like an achievable goal. So, so really, what gives me hope here is that solving climate change is, is a race of exponentials. And we're, we're racing between the exponential of uh, the bad effects of climate with the exponentials of the technological progress we're making and the progress we're making with the solutions and with social attitudes. And so really, it's up to us to make sure that the good exponentials win out. Wow. I mean, that's the kind of thing that can change a person's trajectory in life, just hearing those figures. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, yeah. It's, it's is, achievable. That's challenging. It is. And as a final note, you're with the entrepreneurial community work on climate, and you're looking to scale up a lot of high impact projects, lots of exciting developments in the shoot. Just to continue on this vibe of being hopeful and positive moving forward, can you give us any sort of sneak peek about anything else that's in the works? Yeah, absolutely. So, so we didn't talk much about work on climate, but it's an organization that I helped start. Um, we, we started back in September. We were, there were eight of us, and now we've grown to a community of over 2,100 people. I think we're one of the fastest growing climate communities in the world. And really- Exponential our, growth. Yeah, 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 exponential growth, you got it. And really, we, we were founded because we had the, the two main founders, Cass and Eugene, were um, senior employees at Google, and they wanted to work on climate, but they had no idea how. And when they met each other, they were able to convince each other to quit Google with no plan whatsoever to focus on solving climate change. And they wrote some really heartfelt social media posts about why they were leaving to work on climate, and what their process was like and why it was such an important goal. And the posts went semi-viral with tons of other tech employees really saying, we, we would love to do the same thing, but there's so many things stopping us. This, this, and this is stopping us. And one of those things was sure. often not having the right connections, not having the right co-founders or, or, or community. And so the, the community was really born out of that too, but because it's just an absolute shame that there are all these people in the world who want to work on climate change, but aren't for whatever reason. So our goal is to really break down those barriers, 
we're doing a we have a ton of really cool programs one of the things that i do is really try and support climate entrepreneurs through both that and other ways but i think one of the things i'm most excited about for the future is this climate action platform that i was talking about earlier and how, how can we develop this mm. platform that i mean it, it is associated with the board game but it's also something separate i, I see the the board game as one of many possible funnels of people into this platform and then how can we really galvanize people to see all these incredible solutions connect them with each other and inspire them to take action that's truly meaningful and so that that's really what i'm excited for that is just so exciting and even though i i knew a lot going into this discussion i've learned a lot and I feel more engaged and inspired. And yeah, I guess you could say it's preaching to the converted. Not that this is preaching, but to, to use the turn of phrase. Yeah, I'm going to have to sit with a lot of these ideas in a good way and try to see a path forward and ways that I can make more of a difference within my network and within my capacity, both in partnership with you and otherwise. Definitely, yeah. And, and hopefully we can figure that out together because I, I think if we can, it'll will be a bright future for all of us. Well, that's great. Thanks so much, Sam. This has really been fun, really mind-opening, heart-opening, and inspiring. Ian, it was an absolute pleasure being here. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. The second player chooses their electric cars card and reads off the short description to the group, everyone listening intently. Refrigerant management or electric cars which solution is more impactful? Let the discussion begin. Talking with Green Teachers is co-hosted by Ian Shanahan and me, Sofia Vargasnesi. Ian is the show's writer and editor. Logo design is by Devin Terian. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or iTunes to get instant access to each new episode. If you really like the show, give us a rating too. We can also be found wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us in this episode. We'll chat again soon. Let's see if I can hear you now. All right. Anything coming through? Oh, try again. Yeah. Anything? So it was working this whole time. I just had a knob on my earphones that. Oh, yes. Was I have done them. that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's happened to me like 20 times now. E each time I'm just like, why is, why is it not working? I need to change all well, my the settings. The switch just slides down so yeah. easily. It, yeah, exactly.